Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends, to another summer edition, this is, of On the Rails, here at KHEN, 106.9 on your FM dial. And um, you can always listen to On the Rails as a podcast uh, going back about four years now. Or you can uh, turn on uh, iTunes, listen to us uh, on iTunes. And uh, here we are in the old KN caboose enjoying summertime. We've got the windows down in the caboose. We're rolling along slowly across the prairie. This train is, is pulled along by Rick White who is our engineer, and he's up there. Every once in a while, we hear something from Rick, so so we know that there's somebody at the head end of this train. Yeah, and, uh, thank you, Forrest. It looks like clear sailing up here this morning, and uh, very happy to have this guest you have here. He has some real historic uh, railroad information to share with us, and I think this will be a really good show. Welcome, Bruce. Bruce, go for it. Now, part of what excites, or what I thought was interesting, is that, Bruce, that you have a family that, in a way, has always celebrated the Clinchfield Railroad. It's been a part of your family background and history. Now, and the Clinchfield, quite aside from anything else, what an interesting railroad it, uh, it was. It, I mean, it was built in the U.S., but I was just looking at some of the statistics. They've got more tight curves on the Clinchfield uh, than on any other railroad, including our own, my own famous railroad here, the Denver and Rio Grande Western. I mean, it, it was the last class one uh, built in the U.S. east of the Rocky Mountains. I mean, we always build them out here. We had to, to get up and down these mountains, but not in the east, except the Clinchfield did. And they decided to serve the Blue Ridge Mountains which apparently is a beautiful part of the world. And um, so they, um, they serve mainly north of North Carolina. The Clinchfield Loops, you can see them today. Uh, they climbed the Blue, well, Blue Ridge in these, these many, many loops. And um, eventually they sold out to the seaboard and you know the rest is history and blah, 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 blah. That gets us into the problem of railroading today, which is kind of sad. But anyway, by the end of 1925, 
this railroad had operated 309 miles of road. And of those 309, almost 300, uh, in, in fact, by one account here, uh, 299 or whatever, were on these steep, steep hills, steep curves. That meant the people operating these trains had to be pretty tough. Firemen had to be really tough. Engineers too, to make it work. And But your family is all a, a part of this. So um, Bruce, I should be letting you talk here a little bit, but I just was so fascinated that, that your family is all tied up with this very interesting, very historic railroad. Say a little more about that if, if, you, if you can, Bruce. Certainly, Forrest, uh, and uh, thanks for having me on and uh, this opportunity. Yes, how I first came to know about the Clinchfield was uh, through my grandfather, uh, Goforth, who uh, had moved from North Carolina to uh, Irwin, Tennessee, which was the headquarters uh, for the Clinchfield for for the great number of years that it was in operation. Uh, he had moved as a farm boy, he was born in 1892 in Carolinas and uh, moved to leave the farm and sawmill uh, to Irwin, where he began working on the railroad in the early 1920s and worked there for 50 years, started as a brakeman and retired as a conductor. And how many years of each and so on up the chain through being a conductor. I don't I don't know all the details of that, but I do know he had 50 years and probably retired in the mid to late 60s. Wow. Well, Bruce, you were saying, yeah, there's now 50 years, 50 years on any one railroad is, I wouldn't say it's a record, but it's pretty, pretty impressive. And so I can see why it became kind of a the, the center point of, of the family, of your family, even today, I would, would think. When you were a kid, did you get to hear him tell his stories? And Well, unfortunately not. My father, who, of course, was born and raised there in Irwin, and then uh, and went off to war, uh, World War II. I heard very little from him, but we used to, uh, following the war, my dad uh, and mom got together, got married, and and so on. Uh, she was from Johnson City, Tennessee, just up the road a bit, but um, they met at uh, East Tennessee State and so on. So at any rate, I came along following uh, the war and uh, we would go up there and visit and I would see my grandfather. But, you know, as a little kid, we didn't get that sort of thing very much. So it wasn't until probably about the time he was retiring that I, I might have gotten anything at all. But mainly, I heard a few stories about him from an uncle of mine who uh, lived in Irwin and worked on the railroad about the same time, but he was quite a bit younger than my granddad. And I, I had learned that uh, granddad go forth uh, back in the 30s during the Depression, had an accident where as a brakeman, uh, he was decoupling some uh, freight cars, I believe, and an inexperienced engineer, and perhaps uh, without the right signals, which you know all about for us. He took off while he was in, in, the, in a coupling move. 
Yeah, apparently uh, something moved in a way that it caught part of his hand and took off several fingers. Mm. So I remember as a kid seeing that hand uh, where uh, four thumb and, uh, and the thumb were there and uh, and the rest of it basically missing. And you know how you are as a kid when you see such a thing. Oh, you want to look at it. You yeah. want to look at it, but you don't know if you're supposed to say anything. But but that was a story my uncle told me, Uncle Roddy, actually about granddad. So granddad never told me those stories. But because it was during the Depression and he didn't want to lose his job, the other workmen there helped him wrap his hand in a handkerchief. And he went on working the, the oh, brake yeah. wheels and such and just kept on going. Wow. He didn't. He, 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 holy Toledo. Things were that tough. So they he were kept on working, tough. just kept on working. Kept on well, working. Lost, was it, I wonder which hand it was. Well, wow. it was on his left hand. He was probably right-handed, and so he had that good right hand to keep on working. But, um, you know, uh, they wore vests back then. Of course, he had a pocket watch and so on. I imagine he just kept that hand in a in a vest a lot with the fourth the finger and the thumb oh, showing. Geez. So a lot of times you didn't even see it. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, and there was there was another story I'll tell you real quickly from Uncle Roddy. Don't don't, don't be quick because these are your family stories and and this is a family radio station. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well this this one's okay unless you're a teetotaler. But uh, uh, Roddy's wife was. Uh, but, you know, uh, back there in the Appalachians, there was always a still or something going somewhere or another. Roddy, who never told his wife about drinking or whatever, but he had a good railroad story. And, and the railroad guys would have a bottle and they would be out there having a pull on it here and there. So, you know, when they weren't working, maybe they had a few minutes. But he said, you know, they had this bottle and he passed it around a little and he looked up at the bottle uh, eventually and says, he says, hell, this bottle ain't got no last. Okay. Well, he meant it, it was clear out of uh, moonshine already. Oh. So he said, this bottle ain't got no last. Ah, uh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> that's So they drunk the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, and that's terrible stuff. Oh, uh, have you ever had uh, any moonshine? Well, actually, I did. Uh, I was working as a, a district uh, wildlife manager in Idaho Springs, and uh, a fellow from North Carolina who had moved there, who, who was doing trapping, and I knew, and was working with a little on some beaver trapping, happened to have a bottle of that. And I I'll stopped in there one Sunday morning while I, I'd been out checking fishermen and everything. And he talked me into that, taking a swallow or two of that. And by golly, you know, it wasn't long before I says, you know, I told him, I says, you know, I think I better get on back to the house here. I got back and told Melissa what happened. And uh, I my head was spinning. I, I, I figured I was out of business for an hour or two anyway, for I could go back out and check fishermen again. Well, and so you you were in a funny position, of course, as, as a kid, because you knew about the family history and that, that somehow the Clinchfield Railroad was part of it. And yet um, 
probably it, it was past the time when you were probably riding many trains of any kind, or did you ride some? At that point, I hadn't. Now, Melissa and I have been on the California Zephyr and the Southwest Chief, and I did ride a railroad from southern Mississippi down on the Gulf Coast up to Birmingham. And I don't know the name of that line, but I, a brother who was living in Huntsville, Alabama at the time, came and picked me up in Birmingham. So those are some of the rail lines I've been on. Of course, I've been on the narrow gauge railroads here in Colorado and New Mexico. But uh, yeah, we we didn't, as kids uh, and such, ride the rails back then. You know, you got in a car and you went up to visit the grandparents. Uh, my, my, on my dad's side and Gopher's side lived in Irwin and on my mother's side lived in Johnson City, Tennessee. So uh, holidays, Christmas time, or whatever, we drive back and forth to those places. But we didn't. We didn't get on the trains. We we drove by car. How did they end up in Colorado then? Well, actually, that was my part. Out of high school, I worked in northern New Mexico, out of Cimarron, New Mexico, at the Philmont Scout Ranch during the summers. Through that, and I I finished going to school out here and got a degree in wildlife management and I was recruited to the Colorado Division of Wildlife to do a training program with the endpoint in mind to become a, a wildlife conservation officer with the state of Colorado, which which eventually I did. So I established my residency out here back in 1972. I've been a resident ever since and I, I put in over 30 years with Colorado Division of Wildlife, but that's the Colorado co connection. That's how we came to be here, or at least my part or, of the family. Or, or moved your part. Well, <clears throat> these family stories, family stories are so interesting to see how families move and how they come together. I mean, uh, our engineer's dad worked for the, uh, he worked for the the, 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 the Rio Grande always had a long rivalry going on with the uh, other railroads, but really, especially with the Santa Fe, and and his dad worked for the Santa Fe, so sometimes we kid him a little. We kid him a little about that. Yeah, and actually, Forrest, to you, that's the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. Santa Fe Railway. I have a question for Mr. Goforth. Your grandfather was a brakeman and then was a conductor. So was this the trains involved? Were they passenger trains or were they freight trains or both? Back at that time that he was working, they were both. I see. I, I was reading some of the history. I, I think the passenger services on part of that line quit in uh, 1954. I but, see. Um, and that, that's where I don't have a lot by way of detail. What all he was doing during the time he was conductor, how many of those years? And maybe Forrest knows, or you know, how a conductor continues to work to make the railroads run on time, I believe, uh, whether it's freight or passenger. Well, it's all in the same union. It's the same union. And so your point being, you have most railroads, at least when I worked for them, had what they called the the show board. It's a board. It's it's got it's literally a board on the wall and a crew shack, and it literally has the names of everybody, their seniority number, that is when they join. That you'd get runs depending on 
where you fit in on that board. Now, once you're certified as a conductor, which by the way, wasn't that hard to do, although you, have, you had to be able to read and write pretty well to be a conductor and have some, what today we would call people skills. That is, you didn't fight too much or weren't drunk too often or I don't know, some of those things <laughs> you had to have, but I don't know what they called them in those days. But the point is you'd come in. I remember one memorable night when I, see, I was always a college kid as well. And I was studying for final exams and it was not a night I wanted to work, but I hadn't showed for a while. So I went in 11 at night for the 11 o'clock show board, signed in. Not only did I have the seniority to run a little coal train toward East Chicago, Illinois, but I, I had to be conductor on it, which meant you pretty well had to, you know, stay with the thing and sign it off and tie it up and blah, blah, blah. That's a long story just to say that in your dad's day, what you wanted to do was have enough seniority so you could be a conductor. Now, if it's a conductor on a freight train, that's in some ways even more difficult because you have to get, you know, as you know, down between the cars, hook them up, move on to the next one. And each time you, the universal signal, you you do this with your arms. You can't see this because it's a radio show. But you do this like this with your arms. You're saying, back up, back up. And then presumably, if you've made the joint, as we used to say, then presumably you're pulling along those cars behind you. Now, your grandfather's situation, I don't, that's kind of strange. The only thing I can think is that your grandfather, well, I don't know. That's terrible communication with the engine because usually whoever's down in there making the joint keeps one foot out over the line. So if you hear the slack pull out and you hear that boom, 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 some slack is pulling, you just get the hell out of there. You jump out. You don't wait to see, huh, what's going to happen here? Or else part of your hand will go along with the mechanism, which happened to your grandfather. And that's not something you want to see your hand do or your foot. So that's why you always keep one foot out over the rail and you're always listening, which is hard because we would often work a 16-hour day, you know, and often a lot of it at night or in bad weather or blah, blah, blah. And so, but the point being, it's a long way around the boxcar here to, to talk about all this seniority stuff. The point being, you would make a fair bit more money if you were the conductor, not a lot, but if you were the conductor, you'd make more money than if you were the brakeman. Now, it was always called brakeman. Later, they officially changed the title to trainman. But uh, <clears throat> because the days when you get up on top of the car and put a handbrake on to slow the train, those were pretty much gone, I would think, by the, by the time your grandfather came on there. Maybe not, but mostly the actual application of the brakes, that all changed, of course, when the when Westinghouse came out with their automatic brake. That's when the uh, you pull the air out of the airline, and then the, the the shoes on the brake have nothing to keep them off the brake. They fall down on the brake, and there are the typical sounds. That's we're 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 far afield from your grandfather, but just to say that. Somehow or another, that communication was lost. Now, today, yes. I, 
I've seen a few of them, those guys out there trying to switch using handheld phones. And I would never trust that. My phone, I can't trust anyway. And I certainly wouldn't trust my fingers to a GD phone like that. What you want to do, you want to sure you that engineer sees you. You want to be sure you hear the, that reassuring toot, that toot toot. So, you know, he's whatever signal you've got. That's I'm, we're, we're, we're digging way back in the past here. <laughs> but I'm sure all of those things must have come together. Or him. Well, it's hard. It's hard to say since I guess this happened back in the 30s at some point, and what his uh, situation was, and all the details of it. I don't know. I just, I just know. And what the, of course, you saw the hand, and then you heard the story how it just kept on working because oh. back then during the depression, you didn't want to not have work, and so that's part of the family lore and just part of uh, the metal of, of the Goforth family, though, going back to the Revolutionary War time, uh, Battle of Kings Mountain and so on, uh, where the Goforth brothers own that well, land. Now, uh, now you're, skipping, you're skipping a little fast for this show, or yeah. fast for my brain. Yeah. <laughs> the it's Battle of Kings Mountain... You, yeah, and that, that was, was that Revolutionary War time, but I'm just saying that was Goforth land, and it's now a national park. But but the Goforths, uh, you know, uh, fought in that battle, and I'm just saying there's some some lore that you get if you watch these programs like Finding Your Roots or whatever, and you learn about past history and how are you today coming from a line of people who were had those kinds of stories. And so that's what I remember mostly is stories about my family going way back to revolutionary wartime or to, to like this one on the railroad with my grandfather losing his hand, but he kept on working. So you might say that we have some determination and metal in the family. I guess so. <laughs> well, here we are sitting in the Cahen caboose. The Cahen caboose doesn't last forever. It's, it's, yeah, and it kind of comes to an end after about 28 minutes. And then we have to take a break, and it's nice to take a break. And then after the break, why our faithful engineer goes toot toot and he brings us back on because we've got so many more questions, especially my questions are about families, families that revolve around railroads and what those have to do with, with railroads because it's a railroad show. We're going to have to take a break. In fact, the engineer says we're going to have to take a break almost right now. So we're going to do that. We're going to take that break here at On the Rails. And before we, uh, what we've got, he's got his finger up in the air. Yeah. Before we get off for us, we have just a little bit of time. And I would like to um, uh, encourage your listeners to become members of khen.org. Um, we do very well as a community radio station supported locally, but we are really looking for your, uh, your donations to uh, KHEN and uh, you people, wide ranging listeners. If you enjoy this railroad show, you can, can guarantee that it will go on if you make a donation to KHEN. Thank you, Forrest.
Thank you for that. And I do. I'm, every month I make my donation to KN uh, Radio. And that's because it comes out automatically. You know, highball was one of my favorite parts of the railroad. You finally were kind of done switching out and doing whatever you were doing in some darn little town. And you get, you're ready to go home and you reach out from the old caboose. You put your lantern up in the air and you swing it down and you go highball. So you're going. So count of three. One, two, three. Highball. 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 Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncho Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889.